everybody. So good to see you this weekend at Saddleback. Welcome those of you who are joining us online and those of you at all of our campuses. It's a great day to be in church. And I'm so grateful today that we get to celebrate the diversity of Saddleback Church, that we are an all-nation congregation. And so in our service at Lake Forest today, uh, we got to watch the Espanol team lead us in worship. And my heart was so stirred today just thinking about the fact that there are so many people all over the world who are worshiping Jesus from their native tongue, from the, the, the language that God has given them in their hearts, and we get to be a part of a global church. So happy Hispanic Heritage Month. We celebrate those of you at our Espanol campus and those of you at our campus in South America, at our Buenos Aires campus. We are so grateful for you. Now today we are in the last week of a series called Uncommon Courage, and we've had a great four weeks talking about the subject of courage, that oftentimes the missing ingredient between where we are and where God wants us to be is courage. That so often when we come to a place where we're stuck or we find ourselves circling, the thing we need is courage to move forward. So we've looked at different aspects of courage. Uh, my favorite message of the whole series so far was last week when my wife Stacy spoke. She did an amazing job and is thankful for her. Today I want to finish our series with a message about the courage to keep going, the courage to continue when you want to stop. And there's a time in our life where we get a sense of courage. Perhaps you got courage to start parenting or you got courage to get married or you had courage to begin a ministry, but there comes a point for all of us where we need a fresh dose of courage. I was reminded uh, recently of a time that I did this race, so it was called a MRF, and those of you who are in military, uh, you'll know of this, this race. It was designed after a guy who was in Afghanistan, and he would do this race. He would run a mile. He would train this way. He'd run a mile, and then after he'd run a mile, he'd do 100 pull-ups, and then after doing 100 pull-ups, he'd do 200 push-ups. And then after that, he would do 300 air squats. And then after that, he'd do another mile. It sounds miserable, doesn't it? So one of my friends said, hey, you should do this Murph with me, and I'll help you train. I'll help you get ready. You can come to my CrossFit gym and work out with us. And it happens on Memorial Day. So he started designing these workouts. His name's Brandon. And I did the training. I got ready for the race, and race day came. And when race day came, the only thing I really cared about at the race that was like my best score. The only thing I cared about was beating Brandon, the guy that had trained me. Now, I'll also add that Brandon is a few years younger than me, but I thought if I could just beat this guy, that'd be awesome. I'd feel great about myself. And so I did the race. I'm like doing the mile. I'm, you know, neck and neck with Brandon. And then we're doing our pull-ups and push-ups and air squats. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm on track with Brandon. And then we get into the last mile. So it's like, you know, 35, 40 minutes into this race. And I'm watching Brandon as he's running, and Brandon is kind of pacing himself, going at the same pace. And I've got a little extra gas inside of me. Like, I'm ready. Not, you know, not stomach gas, but, you know, running gas, just in case you're wondering. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, I can, I can start outpacing Brandon. So I start outpacing Brandon, and we come to this corner, and I think when I turn around the corner, that the place that we finish is, like, right around this corner. So I, I put it on. Like, I'm going, and I'm sprinting, and I run right past Brandon. But then when I round the corner, I didn't realize that there was another corner that I had to round. And I got there, and I'm like, oh, I don't have 100 yards. I have a quarter of a mile to go. And I got just a little bit further, and my pace that I had picked up, which was like a seven-minute mile at that point, 
I couldn't keep it, and I had to bend over like this and catch my breath, and then I started walking, and then I looked behind me, and Brandon's coming up behind me, and there's no way that I can, I can do it again. I'm just exhausted, and Brandon runs right past me, and all he says is, rookie move, bro, rookie move. <laughs> now, maybe you've had a moment in your life like that where you were running, but it seemed like you ran out of the energy that you needed, the courage that you needed to continue, and today... I wanna talk about how do you get fresh courage for fresh challenges? How do you get the courage to finish what you start? And I have in mind somebody who's been married maybe 20, 25 years, and when you got married, you had a vision for a great marriage. And perhaps you've gotten in and you have a decent marriage or a good marriage, but if you're honest with yourself, you've settled for less than what God has in store for you. And I have in mind somebody who's parenting, perhaps maybe because this is my season of life, but you have some teenagers and you started with your kids and when you started, you dedicated them to God and you were committed to raising them in, in God's ways. But if you're honest, there, there's, there's a part of you that is a little bit content and settling in and you're like, I, I kind of, I've gotten them this far, I can kind of ease and coast now, but God wants to say to you today, there's, there's more that is in store for you. And I have in mind today somebody who's maybe in their mid-60s or perhaps even early 70s, and you've had a fruitful life, you've made an impact, perhaps even God's used you or you've done good things with your life, built a business. And if you're honest with yourself, you find yourself kind of coasting and you, you feel like I've arrived and I'll just take it easy. And God wants to say to you today, there's more that is in store. Today's message is all about the courage to keep going. Now, as we've been looking over these last four weeks, we've been looking at the life of Joshua, and I love this story because at this season of my life, I can so relate to Joshua. Joshua is the leader that God has chosen to lead his people into the promised land, but Joshua shows up on the scene after Moses, who is this great towering leader for the nation of Israel. Moses is the one that brought the Israelites out of Egypt, He's the one that God uses with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm to split the Red Sea. And God has used him so powerfully. Yet now it's Joshua's turn to lead the people. He's led the people across the Jordan River, as we looked last week, into the promised land. And when they get into the promised land, they start moving in and conquering the land. But there's a point at which they've received the land from God. The land has been given, but it's not been developed. And the people of Israel have settled in. They've started to just kind of slow down, sit back, and there was more that God had in store for them. And we're going to look at three conversations today, and they all have the same tone to them. One conversation between God and Joshua, one between Joshua and Caleb, and one between Joshua and the people of Israel. It's the same theme across the board. And we're going to begin with Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. I love this verse right here. Uh, this is God speaking to Joshua. Sometimes I, I read the Bible through like this sense of humor that God must have had or does have. Because in this passage, watch what Joshua, God says to Joshua. It says in Joshua 13, 1, when Joshua was an old man. Now we don't know how old Joshua was at this point. So you can figure out on your own with math what makes a person old or not. But we, we can't assume that he's probably about the same age as Caleb that we're going to look at in a moment. But it says, when Joshua was an old man, the Lord said to him, you are growing old. It's like when, when, when God, the ancient of days, tells you you're old, you're probably old, bro. 
you're growing old. And much land remains to be conquered. I want you to hear that today. Much land remains to be conquered. There is more that is in store for you. There is more that is in store for my people. And not only do I have certain people in mind when I think about this message, I have a church in mind called Saddleback Church. A church that has had a fantastic foundation of 42 years. And there's a God that is in heaven. He's not telling us we're old, but he's saying to us, there's more that is in store for you, church. There's more that I have for you. Much land remains to be conquered. Now, as the passage continues, there's another conversation. And this time it's between Caleb and Joshua. Now, I want you to imagine Caleb and Joshua, they know each other very well. They've been buddies since they were kids. They were together a part of the 12 spies that went into the promised land when the Israelites were in the desert. And Joshua and Caleb, they were the only two that believed it was possible for God to lead his people into the promised land. And I love this verse where Caleb comes to Joshua and he says, Today I am 85 years old. And I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. Anybody else know an 85-year-old like that? Just a little overconfident in their strength. Uh, Pastor Buddy, our teaching pastor, was telling me a story of one of his friends yesterday. He was saying uh, his friend was like in his early 60s. And his dad was in his mid-80s. And his dad was up on the roof. And he's working on the roof. And he hollers up to his dad and he says, Hey, dad, you can't work on the roof like that when you're in your mid-80s. And his dad hollers down to him and says, son, you can't work on the roof like this when you are in your 60s, but you can when you're in your mid-80s. And there's a confidence that this guy has. Like, I, I still got it. I still have it. Whatever it is, I have it. I, I'm 85, and I'm just as strong as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord has promised to me. So give me my mountain. I am not finished. God has more in store for me. This is the big idea. I want you to write this down. Finishing well requires fresh courage. Finishing well requires a fresh dose of courage from God. So as we finish this series, I want to highlight the truth that we all know a great start does not guarantee a fantastic finish. We need a fresh dose of courage as a church we need a fresh dose of courage from God individually, in our homes, with our families. And so today I want to talk about how do you get that fresh courage. What's the commitment that I need to make, that you need to make in order to continue to move forward in courage. When we want to put our hands down, when we want to stop, but God is saying keep going. The first commitment is this. It's a commitment that I will work from God's eternal promises. I love how Caleb when he highlights what God is going to do through the Israelites and the land that God has given, I love how he comes back to the promise of God. He says, today I'm 85, and then he comes down to the bottom. He says, so give me the hill country that the Lord has promised to me. I want you to take that line, circle, highlight, underline in your notes, that line that says, the Lord promised to me. There was a specific promise that God had given to his people, an inheritance that was his. And he says, God's promised it to me. I'm working from the promises of God, not for the promises of God. 
In your notes, I want you to write down two words. I want you to write down the word for, and I want you to write down the word from. Because in our journey spiritually, oftentimes we get confused. And sometimes we can start to slip into, if we're not careful, this religious mindset. And maybe even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're listening to this message, that perhaps you've even believed this, that you have to do something for God's approval. That you have to work harder or strive more. Or there are all these religious obligations that if you keep them, then God will want to love you and want to bless you. But there's a difference when our mindset, when our heart, when we embrace the reality that it's not something that we do, it's something that God has done that gives us an inheritance before him. So God gives the Israelites an inheritance, but God also gives us an inheritance when we trust in Jesus. And Philippians 2 highlights this dynamic of working from God's strength, from God's promises, but there's still obedience involved. He says, therefore, Paul is writing, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. I want you to underline that word, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So highlight that word or phrase, in you. God works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there's this dynamic that is at play if you're a follower of Jesus, where God gives you strength, but you still have to work the strength that he gives you. So you're working from his promises. You're working from his strength. It's kind of like one time I got a gym membership, and I never went to the gym and never worked out. And then I went to the gym owner and just said, this is a horrible gym. I didn't get in shape here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But... That would, that would be kind of funny, wouldn't it, if you like went to the gym owner? People do this at church all the time. I didn't grow here. And it's like, well, well, actually, there's so many tools that we didn't access, so that's why we didn't grow. So there's a dynamic of God gives it to you, but you have to work it. So it is a from the strength that God gives, not for the strength from God. It's from the promises of God, not for the promises of God. So I'll give you a couple examples of what this means. See, there's a difference between working for freedom versus working from, from freedom. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, this is not in your notes, but you can come back to it later. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has, what, set you free, past tense. Stand firm then and don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So you have already been set free if you've put your trust in Jesus. All of your sins have been nailed to a cross. And as Psalm 103, look at this, 11 and 12 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Is this present tense or past tense? It's past tense. It means that when you put your trust in Jesus, that he removes your sins from you so you are declared forgiven by him. So you don't have to work for forgiveness, you work from forgiveness. You don't have to work for freedom, you work from freedom. So we work from the promises of God. And he gives us strength. Now there's an enemy that's at play both for Israel and for us that oftentimes prevents us from stepping into the fullness of God's promises for our lives. And that enemy, the first enemy, is the enemy of apathy. The enemy of apathy that says, it's good. Your marriage, it's good. Your relationship with your kids, you're doing fine. Your business, it's good. Your ministry, it's cool. It's all right. 
It's apathy that begins to settle in. Somebody once said that the greatest enemy of a great marriage is not a good marriage, not a bad marriage, it's a good marriage. The greatest enemy of a great relationship with your kids is not a bad relationship with your kids, it's a good relationship with your kids. And what apathy can do, like the Israelites, can cause us to settle in instead of moving forward with the great things that God has for us. So when we take the promises of God and we internalize them, it gives us fresh courage and fresh strength to step forward. I love a couple of these. I'll just fly through these and you can come back to them this week. Sometimes when you fear, feel fearful and timid, this verse from 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. James 1, 5, another promise from God, one that I've prayed since I've been a teenager over and over again. Every time I'm in over my head, I pray this. A promise from God. I don't have the discernment I need. I don't have the wisdom I need. I feel this all the time at Saddleback Church. Massive role. So many staff. So much more than I've ever done in my entire life. But thank God I have a promise that I can stand on and work from. And it's in James. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. One more I'll, I'll read you. Ezekiel 36, 26. This is one that I pray over my kids. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And sometimes when you're, you're working with your children or working with somebody, you're like, that heart is so hard. But God is able to take it. There's a promise that he can take a hard heart and make it soft. Do you guys see what I'm doing here? I'm helping us understand that there are so many things in the Bible that God has already said that is true about our lives. And the more that we are convinced of these truths and we work from them, the more strength that we have. I remember in COVID, there were so many mo moments where I was just speaking to a camera. And for a year and a half, I'm like, I did not sign up to minister to cameras. I, by the end, I was like, I'm so sick of that red light just staring at me in the face. And there were so many moments when I would go to deliver a message and nobody's in the room and I'm just staring at a camera and I would come back to this verse over and over again, Matthew 16, 18, a promise from God. It says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not overcome it, will not prevail against it. When I convince my soul again of the promises of God, fresh courage comes. So here's the question, where's apathy preventing me from advancing on God's promises? Where is apathy? Where is good enough? Where is okay? Where is fine preventing me from stepping into the fullness of what God has for my life? Point number one, I will work from God's eternal promises. Number two, as Joshua continues the conversation and, and the people of Joseph show up, I want you to see this. It says, the descendants of Joseph came to Joshua and asked, why have you given us only one portion of land as our homeland when the Lord has blessed us with so many people? Now, sometimes when you read the Bible, it's, it's nice to kind of put yourself in the situation and imagine what it might have sounded like when they were there. 
And I just want to read you what I think they sounded like when they came to Joshua. The descendants of Joshua, Joshua, Joseph came to Joshua and, and asked, Why have you given us only one piece of ice cream, scoop of ice cream, one portion of land as our homeland when the Lord has blessed us with so many people? <laughs> Why, why have you not given us more, Joshua? There, there's so many of us. And there are times in our lives where we feel like we, we should give more. But I love Joshua's reply back to the tribe. He says to them, if there are so many of you, and if the hill country of Ephraim is not large enough for you, then go clear out the land yourselves in the forest where the Perizzites and Rephites live. Go pick up an axe and start chopping down some trees, bro. It's like you, you've already been given something that you are currently not working. You are asking for more when you haven't been faithful with the little that God has already placed into your hands. So there is a domain that I have given to you. There's authority that I have given to you. This is true for you, not just the Israelites. That when God calls you, he gives you authority. Jesus said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of all nations. So there's authority from Jesus that is given to you. So if you're a dad or a mom, you have authority to, to steward and to care for the lives of your children. If you're a business owner, you have authority in that domain from God. And that circle, that land that God has given to you is yours to work. So when we look at the grass on the other side and we're like, oh, the grass is greener over there, but we are not working what God has given to us. We can't ask or expect God to give more. There's this idea that Joshua is drilling down into, if you want more, be faithful with the little that God has given to you. So there's a commitment that I want to make, that we want to make, and it's this. I will work with God's limitless resources. So everything that you need, God has in abundance. So if you need wisdom, God has it. If you need resources to, to lead your family, God has it. If, if you need strength, God has it. He has limitless resources that he can give to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what happens so often is that we live our lives in spiritual poverty when there are spiritual riches from God that he has already given into our lives. So I want to live in such a way that I access what God has already given to me. In the Midwest of the United States of America, those of you who are joining us internationally, uh, there are several states where there are a lot of lakes. And my dad and my family, actually, all of them live in a state called Michigan. So if you're watching internationally, it looks like this. And if you ever want to know if somebody's from Michigan and you say, where are you from, they always use the hand to point. And the problem with people from Michigan is they can make every state a hand. Like, oh, that's California. That's, you know, the Northeast. I mean, just keep going. But um, the point is, my dad lived, and growing up, he lived on this property, and it was on a lake. And my dad would take his boat around the lake, and he would meet the neighbors. And there was this one guy that lived on the other side of the lake. And my dad started building a friendship with this guy. And as he built a friendship with this guy, uh, he got to know him. And one day, he went over to the guy's house and knocked on the front door. And as he knocked on the front door, the guy opened the front door. And my dad looks inside the house and like the, the, the floor is falling apart. It's a complete wreck. The house smells real bad. There's trash everywhere. And it's just a, it's a complete mess. And my dad, you know, has a conversation with him, goes away. And then 
comes back another time, and when he comes back, he walks over to this guy's car, and he notices that the guy is actually sleeping inside of his car with the car running. And inside the car is all kinds of, you know, trash and clothes, and there's a cat inside of there. And, and he's there just sleeping, and my dad, like, knocks on the window to make sure the guy's okay, and you know, he looks at the guy and says, why are you sleeping in your car? And the guy says, oh, well, I actually couldn't pay the electricity bill, and so the electricity inside my house got shut off, but I had, had enough gas in my car to stay warm, so I came out to my car, and I turned my car on, and I slept in my car, because that's the only warm place where I could get sleep. And what's ironic about this story is that this guy lived on over 10 acres of land on this beautiful piece of property on a lake in Michigan that was worth multiple millions of dollars. And he is living in complete poverty. And that is an illustration of how so many of us live our lives. There are so many resources that are available to us, power, wisdom, discernment, that the Holy Spirit can give to us. And yet so often our eyes are down and we're focused on what we don't have in front of us instead of looking up to gaze and see all of what God has already given to us. The second enemy is the enemy of entitlement. And that's what the Israelites are facing, the descendants of Joseph. It's a, it's a mindset that says, I should be given more. In fact, the focus of entitlement in your notes is the focus that I don't have what I do deserve. And sometimes, if we're honest, this happens with kids, but it also happens with adults. One of the phrases that my kids often will use is they will say, that's not fair. It's like I'll take one kid to a movie and then they'll say, you took my brother to a movie. That's not fair. You didn't take me to a movie. And I always want to come back to the theological reality of fairness that died in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and we deserved eternal damnation and separation from God at a place called hell. I don't tell them that, but that's what goes through my mind theologically. <laughs> that's not fair. Well, let me explain what fair is. So everything after that is both grace and mercy, and I'm generous towards you as your father. But isn't it true that we also have that same mentality as adults? That we look at what God does for somebody else and we say, that's not fair. If I just had that spouse, or I had that job, or I had that ministry. I remember one time I was uh, conversing with a pastor, a church planter, in the Bay Area when we had started our church and he came in and we were giving him a tour and we got into the auditorium and he used this phrase. He said, must be nice to have lights. Must be nice to have a building. Must be nice to have a staff. And I could remember, and I'm sure some of you who are part of Saddleback can remember those early days when there was no building and there was no money and there were no staff. There was just a small group of people with a faith in God who had limitless resources that we needed to build his kingdom. And that small group of people, God took that little faith, like he did here in this church, the little obedience, and he multiplied it over time. So now there are lights, and now there are buildings, and now there are staff, but there was a moment when there wasn't, and there was a group of people that took everything that God placed into their hands and used it. So bro, I'll get you a must-be-nice t-shirt, but maybe there's a different perspective. See, I am empowered when I have a different mindset, when I think to myself and I believe I say, I will develop everything I do have. Whatever God has placed into my hands, I'll develop it. So God, if you give me a spiritual gift, I'll use it. 
God, if you give me relationships, I'll be faithful. God, if you give me money, I'll be generous with that money and bless other people. Every ounce of what you place into my hands, God, I will use to bring you glory and build your kingdom. And if you give me a little bit, I'll multiply it, and I'll believe that you'll give me more. I will be faithful with a little before I ask for more, God. Empowerment comes when I believe that God can multiply what he's already placed into my hands. So Proverbs 12, I've, I love this proverb. Lazy people don't, don't even cook the game that they catch. So the image is like a dude that's sitting out and his lazy boy, and he sets up a trap and an animal comes, animal gets caught, looks at it. It'd be nice if somebody come over and cook this thing for me. Be nice if I could eat that for dinner. Be nice if I could have that. And then Solomon contrasts it to the diligent man or the diligent woman. And watch what he says. But the diligent make use of everything that they find. So the diligent walks over to that animal and says, oh, I'm going to get me some beef jerky here. And I'm going to make some dinner here. And I'm going to make myself a cool bone necklace here. And I'm going to take everything that God has placed into my hands. And I'm going to leverage it so that I can multiply. So that I can grow what he's given to me. I want to give you another way to think about this. Draw a triangle in your notes. And in your notes, um, write at the top of the triangle the word time. And then in the bottom, write the word talent. Bottom left-hand corner. And bottom right-hand corner, write the word treasure. Time, talent, and treasure are the resources that God gives to you. And sometimes you have more of one than the other. So when you're a teenager... You have more time on your hands. When you're in college, you, you tend to have more time. Early 20s, more time. Less money. At least for me in that season of life. But whatever resource you have more of, you can leverage to get the others that you need to accomplish the purpose of God for your life. So the question then becomes, what resources from God am I currently overlooking? What resources from God Am I currently overlooking? You might even think about it like this. What's everything that you could currently do for free to grow what it is that God's already placed in your hand? So a better marriage, you don't need to spend 20000 and go on a vacation. Just take 20 minutes at the end of the day and connect with your spouse. For a great relationship with your kids, maybe you feel like you, you need to spend thousands of dollars and take them to Maui on a great vacation but perhaps maybe the difference is just slowing down long enough to connect with them when you're coming home from work at the end of the day. It's a mindset shift to say there's already great things that God has placed into my hands and I can leverage them for good. 2 Peter 1, I'll, I'll finish this point with this verse. 2 Peter 1 says this, it says, Jesus has the power of God. His power has already, past tense, given us everything that we need to live and to serve God, we have these things because we know him and Jesus called us by his glory and his goodness. So it's past tense. I have everything that I need for life and godliness. I have all the resources I need to do what it is that God is asking me to do. I am not lacking. An abundant God has already blessed me with abundance. An abundant God has already been gracious and generous to me. So I will live with gratitude and I will be faithful with what he's placed into my hands. I will multiply the little that he has given to me, and when he finds me faithful, he'll give me more. I will be faithful to take what God has given to me, his limitless resources, and use them. That's point number two. Now, I want to finish with this one, and it's this. I will work for God's 
greater purposes. And this is perhaps the, the most important of what we've talked about today. See, God had an eternal purpose for the nation of Israel. He had a plan for them that in so many ways for generations they had missed. Because if you go back to the beginning when God gave this promise to Abraham to make him a father, not just of one nation, but a father of many nations. He said to Abraham, I will bless you, and then I will bless those who bless you, that I will take your life and I will bless nations out of you. And out of you will come a seed. And that seed that was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament was the seed that Jesus, the Son of God, would come out of this lineage so that God could use one nation, one people, to be a blessing to the entire world. But in so many ways, one small tribe, the descendants of Joseph, one small nation, the people of Israel, and also it happens in the 21st century with the church, that so often we get our heads down and all we are focused on is the challenge right in front of us right now. And the smaller the situation in front of us, it oftentimes, if we think of only our current circumstance instead of the big vision that God has for our lives together, instead of the big purposes that God wants to accomplish here on planet Earth, we start to step into discouragement. We start to step into fear. And the Israelites, they miss the purpose of God for their nation. Watch what happens in verse 16. It says, excuse me, uh, in verse, heart, hold on one second. In verse 16, yeah, the descendants of, uh, I lost my verse. Yeah, 17. Since you are so large and strong, you'll be given more, more than one portion. The forest of the hill country will be yours. Clear as much land as you wish and take possession of its farthest corners. And you will drive out the Canaanites from the valleys too even though they are strong and have iron chariots. Go back to verse 16. That's the one I really wanted the first time. The descendants of Joseph responded, it's true that the hill country is not large enough for us, but all the Canaanites in the lowlands have iron chariots, but those in Bethshan and its surrounding settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel, they're too strong for us. So the giant in the land was big again, the same way it was for the spies. And the enemy that was coming against them fulfilling God's purpose for their life was the enemy of fear. It was this fear that was settling in. And I want you to hear this. There is no obstacle that in your way right now that is greater than the power of God. And there is no obstacle that is a greater threat than fear. See, what can happen with fear is that fear can get in you. It can get in me. And that fear becomes a restrictor from living into the purposes of God. It becomes a restrictor of confidence and courage. And over the last couple of years, there's so much fear in our culture. Sometimes it's hard right now to even know what courage is. In some ways, people have thought courage is about voicing their political opinion. When there's so much more at play than just our politics and what we believe. There is an eternity at play with every single human being in our sphere of influence. And there are eternal purposes of God that are greater than any one nation, than any one country. That this, is, this eternal plan of God was that every nation, tribe, and tongue would know his heart. And what can happen is fear begins to creep in and instead of moving forward in faith, we get stuck in fear. And I wanna ask this question, what are you avoiding in your life that you should be addressing? What's, what's the challenge in front of you that God is saying, 
I want to give you courage to face that battle. I want to give you courage to step forward in confidence. That fear that gets in you is preventing you from moving forward. And what I want to do, God is saying, as we finish this series, is I want to remind you of the great cause that I have given to every person. Every follower of Jesus has been given a commission from God called the Great Commission. That we would take his name, his good news to the ends of the earth. The greater we see that cause, the more we embrace it and understand it, the more courage that we'll have. So there are brothers and sisters all over the world that are followers of Jesus that are laying down their lives every single day for their faith in him to share this good news. And the reason why they have so much courage is because they understand that eternity is at stake with their life. Their life is not just about the temporal here and now. It's not just about the next meal. It's not just about the clothes that I'm gonna buy this week when I go to a store. There is an eternity that is at stake with your life and the life of those around you. And what God wants to do is God wants to give you, if you are a follower of Jesus, a sense of urgency about the mission to get his good name to the ends of the earth. Israel had a mission from God. Isaiah 49 says it, that I have called you that you would be a light to the Gentiles and bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And that same commission that God gave to Israel, he gives to us, reinforced through Jesus in Matthew 28, when Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. See, Saddleback Church, from the very beginning, was built with a group of people that had courage to share the good news of Jesus. There was a group of people from the start that had a desire that their friends and their family would know the difference that God had made in their lives. And I wanna encourage you today that sometimes when it comes to our journey spiritually, the one purpose that we get stuck with, the one purpose of God that requires more courage than any other is the purpose of sharing God's good news with those around us, with the people in our lives who don't know him. To share his good news with our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors. And I am so grateful for one, for the people in my life that had the courage to share the good news of Jesus. I'm so grateful that in Southwest Detroit, Michigan, there was a family that had been changed by Jesus. They lived on this street in a pretty poverty-stricken area of Detroit, but even in the midst of this darkness, they were a light. And this family called the Lake Family, every weekend they would go to a church in Michigan called Temple Baptist Church. And there was this one time where at Temple Baptist Church, they were talking about bringing your friends to church. And there was a little girl that lived across the street. Her name was Marcy. And they built a relationship with Marcy. Marcy was in a pretty tough situation at home. And family life was a mess. And family wasn't involved in church. Lots of brokenness in the home. But this Lake family, they would take Marcy to church. And at church, Marcy started hearing about the love of Jesus. And she made a decision to follow Jesus. And then Marcy, after making a decision to follow Jesus, she'd start following him with her whole heart. And she worked at this restaurant in Michigan. And there was this guy named Pete that would come in and he'd talk to her. And he actually wasn't a follower of Jesus, but she started saying, hey, will you come to church with me? And when Pete started going to church with her, Pete made a decision to follow Jesus. 
and that's my mom and my dad. I'm so grateful that the Lake family walked across the street, that they loved them, that they had the courage to bring them to church. And there's, there's a family, there's a person in your life that God has placed you there. And perhaps you're here and you're new to faith and you're listening about us sharing the good news of Jesus. And I would just say to you from the bottom of my heart, I hope you hear when we share about our desire to invite people to church, you understand that it's because we love you. It's because there is a God that's created you that demonstrated his love for you on a cross so that you could know his heart and find forgiveness. And today can be that day that you open up your heart and you experience his love for the very first time, that you believe in Jesus who died on a cross for your sins, that you trust in him as the resurrected, the living God of the universe. You can begin a relationship with God. And I'll invite you in just a moment to do that. There are others of you that perhaps today you're hearing this message and you're thinking about somebody. And I want you to pull out this connection card at all of our campuses for just a moment as we finish up our time together. And on the back of the card, there's a place where you can write down a prayer request. It says, how can we pray for you? And I want to make a commitment this week that if you will write in this place how we can pray for you, the names of people in your life that you are praying for to encounter the love of God, we will make sure, I will make sure, every one of these names gets prayed for. I want you to write down that person that God has been stirring in your heart to bring with you next weekend as we have a block party here. One massive party at all of our campuses. If you'll write down that name, we will join you and pray for you that God would give you the courage that you need to bring that person with you next week to church. And I believe that that prayer and that personal invitation could be the thing that God uses to change an entire generation with his love. That there is some young little 12-year-old kid that is depending on your obedience to walk across the street and bring somebody to church with you next week. Write those names down and we will join you in prayer. In just a moment as we wrap up our service, I'm going to ask you to turn this card in, and our campus pastors will, will as well, to give these cards to us when the buckets go by so that we can join you in prayer. Will you pray with me? Those of you who are here today and you know that you're at that place where you need a relationship with God, I just want to invite you right now in this moment just to, to say to him, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you conquered the grave, and I surrender my heart to you right now in this moment. And if that's you, in just a moment, we want to invite you to let us know on your card that you're praying that prayer. Others of you, perhaps you're exploring faith and you're not ready to make a decision. And right now you would just say between you and God, just say, I don't, I don't have faith yet. But if you're real, will you please somehow reveal yourself to me? And I believe that the God of the universe will reveal himself to you with that simple prayer from just a little bit of faith. Others of you today, you need courage. You need courage to share God's good news. You need courage to address a problem in your life. You need courage to believe the promises of God. I wanna invite you right now just to say it to God in this moment. I need fresh courage from you. I need fresh courage with my teenagers. I need fresh courage for my marriage. I need fresh courage at my business. I need fresh courage in my small group. I need a fresh dose of courage from you to share the good news that you've given to me with those around me. 
And Father, we thank you that you did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but you have given us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. And we declare that truth over our lives as we wrap up this series, that you are the source of courage. You are the source of strength. And everything that we need, we find in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Can we thank God today for his goodness towards us?